Well, it's great to be here, guys, and to see you in yet another room, auditorium, in this building. This is um, aerobic, up and down the stairs, because I've been up and down a few times this morning, so that should count, shouldn't it? For however many steps we're supposed to do any, every day. I don't count, Tark does. <laughs> it was like, oh, I'd better run around the house a bit, get my steps in. Who, who, does, who counts his steps? Anyone here? Some people. Oh, good on you. Yeah. He reckons just doing the numbers is what motivates you to, to do it. Because so, I'm like, oh, well, who cares? You know, they're not ringing you up. But he's like, no, you've got to do it. So just having to do it is what motivates you. Anyway, better get off that. And I'm just intrigued by this. It's like, is it cheese? Is it bullet holes or (laughs) somebody having fun? Yeah, it's really nice in here. It's great. So it's such a blessing to be here. Well, anyway, I better get into it. I'm using up all my minutes, so let's pray. Father, we just come to you. And Lord, our prayer is, let heaven come. God, let heaven come, because Lord, we just think of, Lord, everyone here, and just the collectively, Lord, all our needs, God, our pain, our lack, our problems, Lord, situations where we need a miracle, and God, I just bring it all to you, God, all the situations where we are desperate, Lord, the injustices, all the things that are going on. And Lord, we just bring them all to you because you are our God, our Father, and say, let heaven come. And Lord, we're trusting you to heal, to work, to come through. And so, Lord, let heaven come and help us this morning to grow in trust, to grow in faith, to know that you are there. God, you can do anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, starting off with an AA orientation. You know, as all you fellow batteries out there know, AA, also known as Alcoholics Anonymous, is the original 12-step program. Now, I've never done alcohol because I was the child of an alcoholic parent, so so many of us don't. But I've been to some AA meetings and I've also been through a codependency group which is like the non-drinkers version of the 12-step program. And step three of the 12 steps, which is what we're looking at today because it's about entrusting our lives to God and I'm talking about trust. Step three says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And of course, at Church Unlimited, when we talk about God, we don't say God as we understood him, because we know who we're talking about. And this is the key. It's about who we trust in. Now, long-term AA members have got some rather interesting stories about some people's ideas about God as we understood him. You know, there's the one about about the man and he didn't believe in God and so he just looked around and he saw this red bus coming down the road and he decided that the red bus was going to be his God. 
how on earth is a red bus going to help you when you haven't got enough money to pay the bills? Or when the doctor tells you that your loved one has a terminal disease or you lose your job or all these other things that leave us feeling hopeless and helpless. The thing is that trust is not trust. It's not like, trust me. That's the kind of thing that sparked off millions of jokes, isn't it? You know, trust me. Trust the process. Trust the government. All that kind of thing. Trust the weatherman. You know, apparently, statistically, the weatherman gets it wrong 80% of the time. (laughs) Seriously. Just watch. But trust in itself is nothing. What matters is the thing or the person that we trust in. We need to trust in someone who is faithful and trustworthy, someone who's never going to let us down, and someone who can actually do something to help us. Well, I think the only person who fits that job description is the the God of the Bible, the all-powerful, loving, and wise God who's our healer, our provider, and who's always willing and able to help us. And I'll tell you what, that red bus is going to be worse than useless when we're really in trouble, unless our problem is that we need to get somewhere from A to B. Surrendering our lives to God is going to be the best decision that we're ever going to make. But you don't need me to tell you that life in this sin-sick and fallen world is not going to be plain sailing. We need God because life is just plain hard. And of course, trust isn't trust without the potential for things to go wrong. And things are going wrong a lot of the time. We all face those unexpected twists and hardships in life. And some people a whole lot more than others. You know, a while ago, I think I was up in Whangarei. It was people from all other churches because it was a combined church meeting and I got talking to this woman and the more she talked I was just like shocked and shocked and shocked at how hard her her life was you know past, present and the future wasn't looking too great either and yet she was trusting God to work for her and trusting God as we read in Romans 8 verse 28 to work all things together for good for those who love God. Well, what does it mean to trust God? Well, a few ideas are going to come up. To follow God's lead without knowing where he's sending us. And I think this is a real big one, to wait for God's timing without knowing how long it's going to be. Because waiting is so hard, especially when you're waiting with some kind of pain. To expect a miracle without knowing how on earth it's going to happen. To trust in God's goodness and his purpose, even though right now nothing makes any sense at all. In other words, we trust God when we're in the spin cycle. Or to put that in more poetic terms, as Isaiah says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. 
So one thing that Isaiah helps us to get straight here is that when we're in the spin cycle or when we're walking in darkness, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've done anything wrong because Isaiah tells us that we can fear God, we can obey his word, and we can still walk in the dark. (coughs) Now, many of you will... um, know of Joyce Meyer, she's a great Christian leader and speaker, or you've heard her, or you follow her. She says, trusting God is to believe that he loves you, that he's good, that he has the power to help you, that he wants to help you, and that he will help you. I'll say that again. Trusting God is to believe that he loves you, that he's good, that he has the power to help you, he wants to help you, and he will help you. Isn't that the truth? We see that in the Bible. You know, other people's testimonies, Bible characters, our own lives as we go through things from time to time. And Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters. And wow, did he go through some very dark trials. His brothers planned to kill him. And then they changed their mind, whoopee-doo, so they sold him as a slave. And then he spent many years as a slave. He was falsely accused, and so now more years, this time chained up in a dungeon. Altogether, 13 long years in slavery and in prison. And then suddenly he was elevated to the powerful position of being second in command next to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so God had Joseph in the right place at the right time to brilliantly mastermind the saving of his people and, in fact, the whole world from starvation through seven years of severe famine. And this was his destiny. He knew how to hear from God, how to handle power, how to handle himself, how to handle other people. And he was God's man for this crucial time in the world. But what does the Bible say about him being sold into slavery and about those years in the dungeon? It says God meant it for good. And then in Psalm 105 in verse 17, God sent a man before them. God sent him. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word, the word that God gave him, came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Wow, God sent Joseph to Egypt. He didn't travel first class. But Joseph's trust in God was first class. He was severely tested, but but he passed all the tests because despite that 13 years when everything kept going from bad to worse, Joseph still believed that God was going to fulfill the plan and the destiny that he had for his life. Joseph trusted God. He believed and he lived like his life belonged to God. He was going to work it out in his perfect life that that plan was the best thing and that God was going to work it out in his perfect time. And it's exactly the same for us. And just to repeat Joyce Meyer's words, we've got to believe that God is good. We've got to have that faith, firstly, that he's going to outwork his plan, and secondly, that everything that we go through, he's going to work for our eternal good. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, 
and he shall direct your paths. And, you know, this can be a bit of a hard one for us as human beings because we like to work things out. We like to make a plan. We want to make sense of what's going on. And sometimes trusting God just means being committed to obeying his word and to his guidance. And sometimes that's going to go against human logic and human understanding. Jeremiah 10 verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Now, as we all know, trust is especially hard, first of all, when bad things are happening. Life is throwing us a curveball. You know, our family is in turmoil. Kids going off the rails, marriage issues, health issues, money issues, loss of a job or a career, or, you know, if the worst comes to the worst, the loss of a loved one. In other words, we are really in the spin cycle. But also when good things or normal things are not happening. We never got that job that we set our heart on. We've been married for ages and we're still not pregnant, even after three horrible cycles of IVF. No way are we ever going to get a deposit for a house. We haven't been healed, haven't got a husband or a wife. We've had that prophetic word for 25 years. It hasn't happened. You know, God, what's going on? And, you know, we've got to trust God in that situation, and that's hard. You know, it's the same old story. When there are no easy answers, the only thing that's left are the hard choices. And what are those hard choices? Well, it tests our faith. The hard choice is to trust God. That tests our faith. It might even be the trial of our faith that we all go through. The hard choice is to sort of take our hands off when we're itching to manipulate someone or something to make something happen. It might mean being obedient when obedience is going to cost us. A woman testified, When we first became Christians, my husband and I kept hearing about tithing. At that time, we were living payday to payday, just barely getting by. And then we were donating about $20 a week, and that felt like a huge sacrifice at the time. But we kept reading the message in the Bible. Malachi 3 verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And she goes on, we decided to just trust God and that if we were obedient, he would take care of us. It was a huge leap of faith, but we started giving at least 10% of our income in tithes. Sure enough, Not only could we get by, but our financial circumstances kept getting better and better. We've been tithing ever since, and we've never looked back. You know, trust is like a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and fruit grows little by little, bit by bit. When we were in the Philippines, 
some of you might have done this, you know, the Philippines is 7,000 or so islands, so we travelled on these overnight ferries. And on one trip, I was on my own, I didn't know anybody on the boat, and it was probably a bit overcrowded, but it started out okay, and then it got dark, and we got into this just shocking storm, and all the power went out, and the boat was just tossing and it was just going from side to side to side and every time, I don't know if it was all the gear or if it was all the doors but it would just go crash, 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 pitch dark. People were screaming, panicking, throwing up. It was quite scary, it was chaos really. But And on these trips, um, Philippine Aid Ministries as we were, we always went third class because it was cheaper, but also um, health and safety, which we didn't have in those days. But we figured that if you were on the deck, you had a better chance of getting off if the boat went down. And so on the deck, it was like wall-to-wall stretches, and you just got on your little stretcher, and the idea was that you sleep all night. And God gave me this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. And I'm sure that when God gave me that verse, your sleep will be sweet, I'm sure God was laughing. (laughs) It had to be. But he said, you will lie down and you will not be afraid. And I wasn't afraid because God had given me that verse and I just had such peace and it was black, and it was crazy, and everyone was panicking. But I just had this peace, and I was confident that God would get us safely back to Cebu. I didn't sleep a wink, but however, that's all right. So, okay, 18 hours of this really nasty storm, and you survive. And like, well, so what? Well, the thing is that you learn to trust God and you learn that God gives you a word and you can trust that word. Another storm hits, a different kind of storm. Unfortunately, not the kind that ends after 18 hours. No way is this one going to be over in 18 hours. It actually feels like it's never going to end. And it's really black and it's really scary. But one thing hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed. And what we've been through and what we read in the Bible tells us that God knows how to deal with storms and God knows how to rescue people out of storms. And somehow he's going to make this work for our eternal good. And it's like little by little, bit by bit, you learn that God is trustworthy in all the stuff that we go through. We can't put our trust in our bank balance, in the government, our job, our relationships, because any of those things can fail us at any time. But God alone is never going to let us down. Now, Joyce Meyer, who I mentioned, had that terribly abusive background. It was just awful. That made it very hard for her to trust people. And that made it hard for her to trust God. And some of you will know what I'm talking about. And even as a Christian, she went through many, many years of turmoil. She says, I went to church, but I spent a lot of time being upset about things I couldn't do anything about. I experienced feelings of guilt and condemnation. A lot of the time I had no peace 
and I just didn't enjoy life. She goes on, Thankfully, I had a radical transformation. I've developed the habit of trusting God, and now life is really worth living. Well, how did she get to that place? She says, by studying and believing God's word. And we can do that. See, a huge key in her transformation came as she regularly studied and engaged with God's word. And so this is that really important point. Joyce Meyer is saying regularly engaging with the Bible is a great key to growing in trust and in faith. Romans 10 verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, now I want to look at another story, another side of the coin, with another Bible character who found herself in a situation where things were not happening. And this is, you know, we can find ourselves in this situation, and this can be very, very stressful, and we can be really tempted to take things into our own hands. Rebecca had a prophetic word from God, and she'd held it in the heart for years, and suddenly looked like it wasn't going to work out. After Isaac and Rebecca got married, she was barren for a long time, and then Isaac prayed for her, and she fell pregnant with twins. Genesis 22, 25, sorry, 22 to 23. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening? No scans, right? So she went to inquire of the Lord. This is God's answer to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, back then, the birth order was very important, and this didn't happen. The older will serve the younger was all the wrong way around. Now, fast forward to Genesis 27, and we see Isaac, the father, about 127 years of age. His eyesight was pretty well gone, and he got it into his head that he was about to die, though, in fact, he lived for another 50 or so years. And so he gave Esau, the older one, the older twin, certain instructions to carry out, and then he was going to pray the blessing of the firstborn upon him. Now, this is not what God had spoken, so it's like, "Uh uh-oh. God had told Rebecca that the birth order, which was so important, and an irrevocable blessing was going to be reversed. The older would serve the younger. wasn't happening. Didn't Isaac know what God had told Rebecca? Had he forgotten Did he have his own agenda? Was he trying to change God's will? Well, I think Isaac probably did know what God had told. Um, You know, did know that God had chosen Jacob, but his physical appetite, his parental favoritism, got in the way. Genesis 25, 27 to 28. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, so Jacob was Rebekah's favourite, and Esau was Isaac's favourite. Now, they started out as a very godly family. They'd become completely dysfunctional, and now we see them about to self-destruct. Now, Sure, it's quite normal as parents to prefer one child. 
and different personalities will need to be parented in different ways. But it's really, really important that each child gets the same attention, time, affection, gifts, and all that. Because the consequences of this overt parental favoritism are really bad. Jacob had already tricked Esau out of the birthright, and that was also a big deal. And now he goes along with Rebecca's evil plan to trick this old, nearly blind man into giving him the firstborn blessing that his brother Esau should have got unless God intervened, which he was going to do. And this evil plan worked. But when Esau realized what had happened, he was so mad, he said he was going to kill his brother. So then Isaac, the father, sent Jacob away to Paddan Aram to Rebekah's brother Laban. Now after that, to cut a long story short, God fulfilled the prophetic word. His plan went on, but as the Bible says, we reap what we sow. So in Paddan Aram, Jacob spent many years reaping what he'd sown as Uncle Laban cruelly deceived him over and over. And Rebekah... She never saw her favourite son again. She died sometime within the 20 years that it took Jacob to make it back home. Our flesh loves to try and help God out. But you know what's really going on? It's usually bad stuff. Sin, (coughs) impatience, greed, lack of trust, selfishness. True faith is shown as we patiently wait for God without losing faith, without giving up. Now, what should Rebecca have done? Well, I don't really know for sure, but I see this. I mean, it was very stressful, clearly, but this this could be a crucial timing issue. And as Christians, we will face these things in different ways. Time was running out fast. Isaac was going to give that irrevocable blessing to the wrong son and God didn't seem to be doing anything like help, you know. My rent's due, God hasn't come through and this time I'm definitely going to get kicked out of the house. Uh, But I've got my old mother's credit card on me. She'll never know. Hmm. Maybe this is God's provision. I'm 43. I'm not uh, way older than that. But someone else. Someone else is 43. God's promised them a child. They're still single. Well, they've got a boyfriend. Doesn't want to get married. Help. What do I do? You know, these running out of time issues. We've been trusting God for ages, but it seems like He's forgotten us, forgotten the promise, forgotten our needs. So is it okay to take matters into our own hands? You know, to do something that's not 100% moral, not 100% honest, or not 100% right. You know, even Abraham, the father of our faith, fell into this one. God had promised him a son, but it was taking forever. And so he and Sarah worked it so that he got Sarah's slave pregnant and she had a son for them and he was called Ishmael. But of course God did fulfill his promise. And Abraham and Sarah had a son called Isaac who we've been talking about. And from the time that Isaac was born there was jealousy and hostility between Ishmael and Isaac. 
Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out. But how many wars have been fought? How many countless lives lost in the struggle between the Arabs, the people of Ishmael, and the Jews, the people of Isaac? And to this day, the hatred between those two people continues. You wonder what the outcome would have been if Rebecca had just let go and let God. God can do anything. And in all of our issues and trials, God can do anything. I think we get a little glimpse of this when Jacob himself was old and dying and his son Joseph brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to be blessed by their grandfather. And guess what Jacob did? Instead of putting his right hand on the head of the older one and his left hand on the head of the younger one, he crossed them over. Nobody did that. But you see, it was prophetic, and it was God guiding him. And maybe at this point he gets a little glimpse of what could have happened if he had trusted God way back when he went along with his mother's evil plan. We've got to let go and let God. God is bigger than an old man's love of savoury food. God is bigger than parental favouritism. God is bigger than the birth order. God is bigger than all the injustices and obstacles and problems that stand between us and the outworking of God's plan for our lives. We've got to let go and let God. Easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? When we're stressed, when we're worried, when things are going wrong. Got to try and trust God, trust and obey, do what's right. Not easy. Cry out to God for grace. You know, a pastor's son committed suicide in in those terrible dark days and weeks afterwards. He clung to God's word and one of his verses was Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And that pastor bravely stood up and spoke to his congregation just a few weeks after his son's suicide. And he said how incredibly hard it was for him to see that any good could possibly come out of that situation. And he said, I realize that I only see a part of the whole. I only know in part God sees the whole. And he went on to say, how in a shipyard almost every part of a huge ship is made of steel and if you take just one part like a steel plate out of a hull or the rudder or something and you throw it into the sea, it's going to sink because steel steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilders are finished and when that last steel plate is riveted into place, that ship is going to float. It's virtually unsinkable. And he finished by saying, by itself, my son's suicide doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't, never does. It's only a part of the whole. If you throw it into the sea of Romans 8 verse 28, it sinks. But I hope and I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder is finished, even this horrible tragedy is somehow going to work out for our eternal good. 
Robin Bertram, who's a Christian writer and speaker, said, If God has called you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if he has saved you and given you eternal life, and if he has breathed his breath into your body and taken up residency in the form of the Holy Spirit, then trust that he has your best interest at heart. And isn't that the truth? You know, we live in this broken world, but we need to remember And sometimes it's hard to remember that God is bigger than everything that's going on and he's got our best interests at heart. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and Lord, I just pray that you would help us today just to to gain that perspective. God, that you are bigger, so much bigger than things that are going on in our lives, even the big stuff. And Lord, I just pray that your peace, your bigness, Lord, your faith would settle over our hearts. And God, I just pray that for your people here today, for everyone, Lord, that you would just impart faith. And God, that you would bring their miracle that they need so much closer. Oh God, just work, just move. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. God bless you.